20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast along with Packers Wire. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. And of course, you know the one and only Paul Brettel. You can follow him on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. Paul, great to have you back. Uh, how was your holiday? It was excellent. Uh, always enjoy this time of the year, especially with the the young kids that I have and bringing back that Christmas spirit and watching them uh, enjoy the day. So it was excellent. I hope yours was terrific as well. It was a ton of fun. Uh, awesome to see the kids and, and then just being so happy. And it, it was perfect. Could not have asked for anything different. Uh, maybe one thing different. Maybe a, a Packers team uh, the night before that uh, maybe play a little bit better defensively. I'm sure we're going to get into all of that, but let's just start there. Uh, per usual, I'll let you take it in any direction that you want to go. Um, your overall takeaway from Packers Panthers this past week. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of played out how the last few weeks have, and the offense does the heavy lifting just as everyone predicted back in weeks five, six, and seven, uh, the defense struggling along and then the special teams kind of continuing to fly under the radar to a degree in terms of the issues that they're experiencing as a unit. But, you know, the, the, the most disappointing aspect of this for me was the, the performance on defense coupled with how this last week went coming to this game. There's all the noise over the last week. This kind of felt like kind of a last stand for this Joe Barry defense. And in terms of how the Panthers had performed coming into that game, it was really the ideal opponent for a, a get-right situation. Yep. And as we saw how it unfolded, that was the performance that we got, especially in the fourth quarter. Like, opportunity to put this game away. They crumble in that fourth quarter, and that's the performance that this team on defense put out there with their backs against the wall, with an opponent who has statistically been one of the worst in football this season on offense. And that's, that's what they gave us. So for me, it, it was just that aspect of it. You know, the, the performance coupled with everything else that had taken place over last week, that was just the, the most discouraging aspect of what took place. I am 100% right there with you. And this is how big of an idiot I am. It, it's 30 to 16. And I'm like, Carolina, maybe we'll get like one more score in this thing. It's going to be kind of annoying. Like, you know, maybe they get a touchdown and whatever. Um, maybe it's a little bit in garbage time or whatever. But like, this is kind of the game, uh, you know, for the most part, I expected Carolina kind of annoyingly hangs around, but it's like 30 to 16. It's the fourth quarter. It doesn't really matter. Um, it, that, that's kind of what I'm thinking at the time. And then Carolina goes down. They get the touchdown. They get the ball back. They score another touchdown. And it's 30 30. And it like, it goes from like annoying and stupid, but kind of predictable to just so beyond frustrating in the blink of an eye. And like, these are the sort of things that, you know, they, they could have eaten like a, a change of call on a Romeo Dobbs catch, non-catch that mm -hmm. again, good luck defining that in the rule book and, and how that could, like we could see that play 10 more times in our lifetime and they could go five different ways in each direction, both times um, or in all those times, like, to me, this is like how you lose games to bad teams and they got away with one kudos to the offense for finding a way to go down and score that game when you drive. And thankfully there was not one more second on the clock at the end, but to, to game on the line season on the line, have to have a win. Your defense is, is desperately in need of stops. They have not been able to do it. 
and you go touchdown, touchdown, and then allow them to really get into field goal range. Again, had there been one more second on the clock, it, it's probably a tie game. It, man, it just it felt unfathomable. I, I knew that there would be frustrating moments with the Packers defense in that game just because like we can expect it at this mm-hmm. point. I, I never at any point in that game did I expect them to put up 30 points and actually have Green Bay be in, in danger of potentially losing that game. And all of a sudden, there we were. Yeah, absolutely. And as I reference on here, I do the instant takeaways article and I typically kind of start jotting down the notes for that end of the third quarter. And here I am in the final minutes, not scrambling to a degree because definitely the tone of it as you're going through and what's taking place has changed with what happened in that fourth quarter. And at the end of the day, it's it's on Joe Barry, but the execution from the players, specifically the defensive backs, was not on point. in that part of the game either. And I know we'll get into that here in a second. So, yeah, clearly a a disappointing performance, another career day for a quarterback. We might go back to back to back award winners, offensive player of the week, offensive player of the week, possibly rookie of the week in Bryce young. Uh, We'll see what Nick Mullins can do to try to one up uh, the previous three uh, opponents that green Bay faced. But I think that's the crazy part too. And I know we're, we're probably beating a dead horse to some extent at this point, but this is not Mahomes and Josh Allen and, you know, Tua or like whatever, like some high powered offenses that you faced for the past three weeks. I think, again, going going through this week for the second consecutive week, what makes this really disappointing is like you see that that Giants offense cannot do anything over the course of the past two weeks since they faced Green Bay. They had no issues against Green Bay. Carolina going into this game. Yeah, I put all the, the point streaks together. They, they did not score a touchdown in their previous two games. They score four touchdowns in this game. Like, I don't know what else you can do. Like, you're you're going against bad quarterbacks, bad. And I guess to the, the one fair one, Baker Mayfield in that Buccaneers offense seems to be on a little bit of a tear. Uh, and maybe Green Bay gave them that boost that they needed. Who knows? But uh, you, now you face Nick Mullins. And I, I don't know where they go from here. And what's going to happen next? And I guess I should just expect disappointment. But um, is there anything that Green Bay can do differently? I know we're kind of blending topics here a bit, but I know they changed some things in this game. Um, you know, defensively, they played more man. They blitzed a little bit more. It didn't work. Where, where do they go from here? <laughs> I don't think anywhere. Uh, I think that this, like I said, this was this was that opportunity. And as you mentioned, they blitzed at a season high 44% according to next gen stats. They played man coverage at a season high 64% of their snaps. And Bryce Young, you know, to his credit, especially in that fourth quarter, ended up putting together a career day. And just for some context behind Bryce Young's day, he came into the game averaging five and a half yards per attempt. That ranked 32nd in football. He finished with 8.7. Over the course of the season, that would be the second highest mark in the NFL. That was by 2023 standards, what's been put uh, on paper this season, an elite performance. He had only four games coming into this week where he surpassed 200 yards. He threw for 312. He had one game with a quarter or with a passer rating of over, of over hundred. He had one of 110. Like this was a career day for what has been again, one of the worst offenses in football. And Barry did make those changes but the execution, as we talked about, wasn't there. Uh, Jair, Keyshawn Nixon, Eric Stokes from Pro Football Focus were targeted 15 times between the three of them. They allowed 13 completions for 191 yards. It's almost 15 yards per catch and two touchdowns between the three of them. There were zero pass breakups 
And as a defense, the Packers had only four contested passes out of uh, Young's 36 pass attempts, and the Panthers caught three of them. Like this was just an absolute breakdown. And again, Barry did try something different. This went from the typical passive approach where he tried to do a little bit more of the dictating, something that I know I've, I've mentioned on here previously, but it didn't work. And so when we go back to the original question of, well, what do they have to do differently? What What's going to change? What's going to bring out a better performance from this unit? I don't know. I don't I don't know what it is at this point. Honestly, it's probably moving on from Joe Barry, you know, just to maybe uh, provide that spark. I don't know if that's the right term to use or, you know, kick, kick in the pants, whatever you want to use to, you know, invoke that change that's needed. But again, against that opponent, after the two weeks you just had, if you can't come out there and find a way to not even be dominant, but just be good enough to where your offense doesn't have to go put up 33 points again against a really bad offense. Like I I don't know what it's going to take at this point. It just feels like this is, this is who they are at this point of the season and it's on the execution. But at the end of the day, execution goes back on Joe Barry, like given his tenure here in green Bay, given how the last few weeks have unfolded, he doesn't get that benefit of the doubt where, you know, if they had been having success or he's had a, a more, uh, you know, sustainable body of work that you can point to, well, the players just didn't do their job well enough. No, that, that, that doesn't fly anymore given where we are at this point in the season in the third year under Joe Barry. And he even said it last week, it starts from the top bottom as the coordinator. It's his job to get things coordinated. And for whatever reason, whether it's the players not, uh, you know, being on the same page with the game plan, I don't know. Whatever goes on behind the scenes in that regard, but ultimately at the end of the day, that again goes back to Joe Barry. Or Bill Michaels on Twitter. This is the Packers defense over the past three weeks. They've given up quarter. These are the quarterback stats over the past three weeks. 62 of 85, 851 yards, seven touchdowns, no interceptions, a 72.9% completion percentage, a quarterback rating of 132.0. Tommy DeVito, Baker Mayfield, and Bryce Young. Those are the, That's the quarterback stats for three weeks. That doesn't even include Tommy DeVito's 70-plus yards of rushing included in there as well. So I want to go back to the, the change in philosophy. So they tried more man. They, were, they blitzed a little bit more aggressively in this game. I want to go over a couple of those things. The first thing I noticed specifically when it came to playing man and how they managed this game. My first level of frustration wasn't that they tried this. I liked that they tried it. It had some success early. It clearly threw Carolina a little bit off. And uh, I think part of that was due to Bryce Young missing some throws, but I liked the change of pace. However, there was a time specifically starting in like the second half where Carolina was, they, they figured it out to some extent. And I didn't think Green Bay made the necessary adjustments in the second half that they needed to, to sort of, you know, all right, they've, they've now made their adjustments. Now we have to make our counter adjustments. And it just didn't feel like that came. And that, that's been something that both offensively and defensively at times, when opposing teams have made those adjustments, I don't feel like Green Bay's done a great job of countering back and making counter adjustments and saying, all right, they're doing this now. Now we need to do this. Or even at least like even trying things in advance. So just when you think that they're Green Bay's, all right, they're playing man all first half. Maybe the few drives in the second half, then come out with a little bit more zone and just kind of throw the, the curveball into things. I didn't see enough of that from Green Bay. The other thing in regard to, to blitzing, 
I saw on numerous occasions, there were times where either it was like the wrong blitz at the wrong time. It, it like, it didn't make sense to blitz in that situation. There were plays where the blitzer was coming from a poor angle or had no opportunity to get home where it's like, well, they might as well have just stayed in coverage on that particular play. And there was a specific play where like you're bringing pressure, but the corner on the outside is still playing way far off. So you still have this easy release valve to the outside. And it's like, those things don't work together. You can't, you can't be aggressive and safe simultaneously, meaning you can't bring six or seven guys and have all four of your guys just back way the heck off and say like, well, we don't want to get beat deep, but we want to bring pressure because now everyone's open underneath and you can just easily get rid of the football and find your release valve, your safety valve, whatever you want to call it. And too many times I saw, again, either guys blitzing from a depth that didn't make sense coming from like it. it, I was talking to Aaron Nagler about this and he brought up like, it's probably just that they didn't, they haven't practiced playing this style of football in some time. And And I'm sure that's probably a part of it, but those things still go into the overall frustration of you have to be able to execute the game plan that's called, whether that's man zone blitz, non blitz, whatever it is, you have to be able to execute it. We haven't seen green Bay do that. And then the last thing I'll say is some of those attention to detail moments. I posted the fourth and one, and I know everyone's well aware of it at this point, but you've got a fourth and one and your a gap is wide open. Bryce young, the smallest quarterback in the history of mankind. That might be a slight exaggeration, but not by much like is just easily able to sneak in for a first down And there's not any sort of, there's no player there. There's no resistance whatsoever. That can't happen. End of the game. Cardinal sin to allow a player in that situation. They have no timeouts. The one thing you, two things you cannot do. You cannot allow a touchdown. That's one A. One B is you cannot allow a big play and for them allow it to get out of bounds. And what do they do? They allow a huge play and for them to get out of bounds. You know, Keyshawn Nixon's on coverage on the play. It's a good throw. It's a good catch. I get that. That's the one thing you cannot allow in that situation is a big play and the ability to get out of bounds. And that's exactly what they allow. Like those sort of things, the, the situational stuff, it is mind numbing to, to how a lot of this stuff is still happening in week 16. Yeah. And, and to your point about just kind of the disconnect of trying something new, but it's, you know, and not marrying with how the defenders are playing it. I mean, that's been one of the, main disconnects with this team, you know, under Joe Barry is at somewhere along that line from Barry to the position coaches to the players. And it's probably all the above. There's, there's a disconnect and understanding of, you know, not only what you're supposed to be doing, but the why behind it. And I I can't remember if I mentioned this last week or not, but when Quay Walker was talking about, you know, the scheme and what he's asked to do, he, you know, he didn't, he, he referenced that he wasn't, you know, he just does what he's asked and didn't necessarily know the why to what he had been asked about. And that that's a problem for the defensive coordinator when his message about here's why we're doing something is is not and if the players aren't aware of what that is and it's going to lead to that disconnect. It's going to lead to those issues situationally. And I remember after the game, Matt LaFleur talked about how the Panthers defense did a really good job of adjusting in the second half. And that led to those multiple three and outs by the uh, by the Packers offense. And it was one of those things where it's like, oh, you you can do that defensively. You can you can make those adjustments because everything that we've seen from this team, if there are tweaks, it's often just way too late in the process and for for it to take its full effect. It is. And. I think we've probably successfully beaten this down now. Um, doesn't mean we're not going to be frustrated and talking about a lot of the same things next week in all likelihood, but 
Uh, let, let's talk about a couple of positives on the defense because I do want to get your takes on these. Believe it or not, there there were a couple, all, it, as light as they may be in comparison to everything else that went on. I did think LVN continued to show some signs of progress. Um, he had a great play where he gets chipped and then he continues on to the rusher and bull rushes through that guy and gets a great hit on the quarterback. Can't, I think that might have been the one that they initially called the penalty on and then waved it off. I can't remember. I know there were a couple like that. Um, so I, I think he continues to sound like he's he's just showing like a flash player two here, there, almost every single game now, which is exactly the sort of trajectory that you wanted. You know, limited playing time, a little bit more playing time, you know, splash plays, a little bit more consistency, and then hopefully taking that big jump in year two. We'll see if he can continue to do that, but I did think we saw some signs. And then as much as I'm sure it, it doesn't matter in the whole scheme of things, they did specifically in run defense, and especially when it came to Chuba Hubbard, um, Miles Sanders running the football, um, I think it was under, you know, like 2.5 yards per carry uh, for, for the actual running backs in this game. There was not much room for the 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 Panthers to run the football. They did a better job in run defense. They, like I said, LVN is showing some signs. Everything else completely went to crap, but at least there's a couple positives there. When you have a 365-day-a-year podcast, you need to have the energy and the health to be able to provide that content every single day of the year. When I'm not feeling the best, whether that be due to illness, gut health, or low energy, it's hard to focus and it's hard to be efficient with my work. Everything is just slower and everything becomes such a grind. That's why I started drinking AG1 daily. When I started drinking AG1, I could legitimately feel a difference in my energy and I noticed I was becoming sick far less often. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. I recommend AG1 to all my family and friends because AG1 has a team of doctors and scientists and because it is formulated based on the latest science while maintaining their high quality standards. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash packaday. That's drinkag1.com slash packaday. Check it out. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. This year, our family had a few different ways that we did gifts for the holidays. We did some traditional presents, we donated to a variety of charities, and we planned a fun trip for the entire family. Of course, I may have snuck a gift for myself in there during the process as well, but whether or not your family gives gifts during the holidays, you still get to define how you give to yourself. A great way to do that is by giving yourself the gift of therapy. Therapy is powerful. It works and strives to make us the best versions of ourselves and work out the kinks of the everyday daily grind that can continue to beat us down. And during the holiday season, it's really easy to become unaligned with all the regular daily stress, plus the rigors and anxiety that come with the holiday season. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. My favorite part about BetterHelp is that it's entirely online, which makes things so incredibly convenient, and that it's flexible and can be suited to your own unique schedule. In this season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Packaday to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Packaday. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. 
With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Pick's favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, the run defense, ironically, even over these last three games has been kind of the, the stabilizing or stronger part of this Packers defense up until the last few drives and against the Giants, Barkley was under two and a half yards per rush. I think they held the Bucks to around the three yard mark as a team. And then, as you mentioned, uh, Chuba Hubbard, who's been uh, been able to get things going like the Panthers have relied more heavily on the run game the last three weeks. Uh, you know, he's had 300 yards rushing over the last three games coming into this one. So they did do well in that regard. And, and to Lucas Van Ness really been coming on strong as of late. So he came into this game with 13 pressures on the season and six of them had come in the previous four games from Green Bay. And Jason Rebervich, the outside linebackers coach, was talking about his development, his growth this season. And as as Rebervich does, very, very candid and talked about how, uh, you know, a lot of uh, edge rushers at the college level they don't have a plan of attack when they're at the line of scrimmage he goes they're looking over at the sideline and there's a cardboard cutout telling them what to do and so a big part of Van Ness's development at the NFL level was having that pre-snap process that plan of attack and that was always a big thing you know even him coming out of the draft that everyone knew was something that he was going to have to develop like he is was the definition of raw Fewer than 900 college snaps. I think the majority of them were actually lined up in the interior versus the edge rusher position. So he's also handling that transition to a somewhat new position at the NFL level. And as we all know, when you're in the NFL, those NFL tackles, you can't just simply run through or around everyone. You're going to have to have that counter move when your initial power, speed, whatever you go with uh, is met. And how are you going to counter that? And also just having a plan of attack and in, in, in how you're going to get to the quarterback. And so Revit said that's been a big part of his development, that pre-snap process, which they call acronym SACRAT, which is stance, alignment, key, recognition, and technique. So all of that goes into where Vanessa has seen the, the largest growth. And I didn't necessarily realize that, but when I was looking at his numbers for this article, So like I said, he went into week 16 with 13 pressures. Six of them had come from week 12, five or week 12 on five of them came in week one. So he went from weeks two through 11. And these are pro football focus numbers with only two pressures recorded. So seeing that jump over the last month, just in the pressure numbers in itself shows the growth, the development that he's gone through so far. 
Yeah, it's been fun to watch him develop. There still needs to be an additional step there. Clearly, job not done. It's it's not a finished product yet, but there's at least signs of growth there, which is exactly what you're looking for. And just going back to the run defense, and this is why I've been saying all along, and again, where everyone's on the same page with what needs to happen with Joe Barry at this point, but um, why I keep saying I don't think it's quite as simple as this. It feels like a little bit of them trying to play whack-a-mole, where it's like, all right, we're, we're going to play back and we're going to play pass defense. All right, they're, everyone's going to rush for 200 yards against you guys. All right, we're going to play much more sound in the run game where we're going to kind of be a bit more aggressive, bring an extra guy into the box. All right, everyone's going to have an MVP performance against you in the passing game after that. And it's like, and this is where I go back to what's so frustrating and uh, about this defense overall is just not having the identity of there's not one thing that they do well, but to the same extent, when they do one thing well, um, when they're not giving up big explosive plays in the passing game, there's that other leaky hole where they're giving up big plays in the running game. And then when they try to stop that, it's the opposite. And it does feel like it's it's just the sinking ship and they're trying to plug a hole here and like three more are opening somewhere else. I don't think that there's I don't I don't think that there is some silver bullet, perfect defense, perfect alignment, perfect depth chart with the group of players that they currently have that's just like, oh, why didn't I think of this? Like, this is perfect. This is, but um, it doesn't absolve Joe Barry, but I also don't think it resolves the problem on its own just by making that switch. I think there's going to have to be a lot of time, effort, and energy spent on this defense coming at it from all sides of things, from technique work, positional coaches, you know, scheme, you know, probably adding some new talent on that side of the ball. That goes without saying. It's just, it's going to take a lot because right now, um, again, the the boat continues to sink and those holes are getting bigger and bigger, faster and faster. Whatever direction they go this offseason with the with the defense from a schematic standpoint, from the the additions that they make, I, there has to be a reset, too, on the mentality aspect of it from a it's been it's been a long time, like beyond the Joe Barry years where this group has been comfortable with the the passive approach of just keeping everything in front of you rather than having that. Like I'm sure many watch the the Ravens against the Niners on Monday night. Like, yeah, the scheme, the players is obviously a huge part of it, but look at the mentality that that Ravens yeah. defense has like playing defense in the NFL. Like that, that's a definitely a portion of it. Like that's a factor that that mindset, that aggressiveness, that physicality that you have to play with. And it's not just this Joe Barry defense. It's been this style, this mentality in Green Bay on the defensive side of the ball for a number of years now. So again, regardless, obviously the scheme players are very <laughs> the most important in matters, but if you can get a coordinator or the type of players who can come in and have that that attitude about them to bring that aggressiveness. I feel like that's just such a missing element that you can't quantify, but it does matter. It's the old, do you want to be the hammer or do you want to be the nail? Mm -hmm. They've been the nail for a long time now. It's time for them to try to find a way to be the hammer moving forward. Um, We'll see if they can ultimately get to that point this off season. All right. So let's talk about the offensive side of things. A lot more fun things to talk about there. Jordan Love leads another comeback. He has been tasked with, a lot on offense this year and really having to do a ton of heavy lifting, certainly some different maybe interpretations of that Romeo Dobbs catch and whether it was a catch or not, but your thoughts on on Jordan getting it done when he absolutely had to get it done. Yeah. So that's now the third game in the last six weeks, Chargers, Giants and Carolina, where he's brought, led the go ahead score in the final minutes of the game. And to me, 
he was so he was 17 of 28 and they believe 219 yards and and a touchdown from the start to the finish he was in for the most part complete control doesn't mean there weren't you know areas of improvement there always are there are times where you could tell he was a little bit rushed led to some inaccurate passes but for the most part he was in control the offense put up 33 points it's the first time since week 1 that they eclipsed the 30 point mark and did that with all the injuries at the receiver position the fact that all those conditions are true and it you know you look at at least on paper the the box score for love and it's kind of like okay that's that's a solid day like that in itself just shows you the growth that he's had and where he is as a quarterback that's what good quarterbacks do you overcome you know adverse situations you put together games where in the moment as you're watching it, you're not going, wow, this is an incredible performance. But all of a sudden you get to the end of the game, the offense has 33 points. It was a pretty efficient day for the quarterback. Like that's what good quarterbacks do. That shows the growth that this unit has had. Because it wasn't very long ago where you're without a Christian Watson, you're without a Jaden Reed, you lose Dontavian Wicks in the middle of the game. Like that would have just derailed things for this Packers offense. They wouldn't have known how to respond. So Jordan Love and his progress, his growth, uh, just over the course of the season. It's really impressive. And while this game from a number standpoint doesn't necessarily show that, uh, as I mentioned, again, just the body of work and the conditions that he was in to just go out there, plug along, and still put together a sound performance, again, shows just where he's at at the quarterback position. David Bakhtiari, Christian Watson, Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks in the second half, Luke Musgrave, it's a hell of a start of a new offense. If any, you know, just guys that are on the uh, bench, that doesn't even include like Tyler Davis, Luke Tenuta, Emmanuel Wilson. We could, we could almost build a full offense out of guys that are just not capable of playing by the second half. AJ Dillon's got a broken thumb. He's still trying to mm-hmm. duck through everything. That is a massively beat up team. They're missing a core part of their offense. Um, you can make a strong argument. And I know, you know, Romeo had a nice week this week. Like, you can make a strong argument. They're missing their number one tight end in their top three wide receivers uh, mm-hmm. by the time that second half rolls around. Uh, that's not an easy, and your, and your franchise left tackle. That's not an easy thing to overcome. And yet against uh, the best portion of this Carolina Panthers team, their defense with Brian Burns and Derek Brown, um, they, they put up 33 points. Like there is so much to like about it. And again, in the clutch situation where they had to have it, Key third down, Romeo goes up and gets the ball. I think comes down with a catch. Who the heck knows what a catch is, but um, they call it a catch. It's, so it'll go down in history as a catch, and they they get the game-winning field goal drive, and that's not nothing. And I do think that this is another step for Jordan and just his evolution and his development is putting you know the, the time in and being put in these situations and coming through. And there have been other opportunities, obviously, too, or there's some where he couldn't come through, others where he came through and then the defense gave it up. There's going to be some some of those things that continue to happen, but his his process that he has gone through this season has been really really fun to watch, and it it shows like this this offense is clicking even without like half of their best players on it right now, and that's a really fun thing to think about. If they could just get all of those guys playing together at the same time, I know it's like a a dream scenario. It feels like it's never going to happen, and it won't happen this year because Bakhtiari's out for the year, but. They, man, they're just so close to, I think, having something really, really special on offense, which in week 16 of a complete teardown and rebuild, really, of this offense, that is really, really fun to think about. And kind of continuing on here, a player that steps up and they basically say, hey, we don't we don't have Jaden Reed. Let's just give this guy Jaden Reed's role. Bo Melton comes in and has a heck of a day. I know they don't use him exactly the same, but 
man, I, I was so impressed with him. I mentioned him on the pregame show as somebody I was going to watch. He, he caught my eye on tape the previous week. He has speed for days. You can tell that he's got some playmaking ability. Uh, the fact that you've got this dude chilling on the practice squad, that when everyone else is banged up and you just need a little bit of a spark, he's like, oh yeah, we got Bo Melton too. Break out the, you know, break out the Bo Melton and we'll put him in and then we'll, you know, we can just kind of keep running our same stuff. And a credit to Matt LaFleur and still knowing how to utilize all of these players in their best situations. Even when you've only got a Malik Keith or Romeo Dobbs, a Bo Melton, Aaron Jones, just coming back from injury, you know, Tucker craft, like he had those guys put in positions to succeed and, and they came through for him. Yeah. Uh, really, really impressive from Melton. Like you said, just off the practice squad, a casual 44 yards on 15 routes ran uh, coming into Monday's games. That was 11th among all receivers in yards per route run efficiency metric from pro football focus. And Jason Vrabel brought him up on his own uh, when, when meeting with us last week and just talked about how his progress in practice, there's the special teams quality or aspect of it that he's really shown through. But he said over the last few weeks that there's about a play almost every single day that Melton's making in practice on the offensive side of the ball. And that's building that trust to where in those key situations, love is going to look his direction. Matt LaFleur is going to trust him to be in the game. And, you know, he's got, you know, when you're without Musgrave, when you're without Watson, but you have someone who has four, three, four speed, you know, you're not going to use him like a Christian Watson, but you can use him in motion, try to stretch the defense horizontally, send him on some deeper routes just to try to create some better spacing out there. That that in itself is incredibly valuable again, without having Watson out there, but you know, Melton's come on strong. And as the game was unfolding on Sunday, I had this brief thought of what does that mean for Toure? Because Melton had two games left. Melton has one more practice squad elevation. So it's not as if a decision has to be made this week yet. But if they go into week 18, must win game, Melton's out of practice squad elevations. Like Toure, they even gave him some opportunities in Sunday's game. But it just, no, <laughs> at no point this season has he made the impact on offense that Melton did in that one game. And also, Toure doesn't have any special team snaps this season. Melton, in the three appearances that he's made, has contributed to some degree on those special teams units. So that in itself could be something to keep our eyes on going into Week 18 if, if the Packers want to have Melton available in that game. Even beyond that, I w- it wouldn't shock me if they did it, even though they have one call-up yet left. And the reason I say that is... When you put a game like that on tape, and like I said, he even caught my eye the game before. Um, and when you've got a coach that's now publicly said, yeah, he's catching our eye in practice every single day. Mm-hmm. All it takes is one crappy football team that has an open roster spot to be like, well, we've got nothing to play for. Let's try to find a talented player from another team's practice squad and say, hey, oh, yeah, Bo Melton. He just had that really nice game for Green Bay. Let's go add him to to our active roster and we'll we'll put him on the 53 and it might be just like, well, yeah, but maybe like Green Bay will, you know, just say, well, we'll put them on our 53. Sometimes what agent or sorry, what teams do in those situations is they'll call at three in the morning and they'll say, you have to decide right now if you want to come on our 53. Um, if the answer is yes, we'll send the, the contract to your agent and they'll sign it. Um, otherwise, we're going to go with a different player. So it puts the the player in this precarious position yeah. of, yeah, I'm sure they maybe would like to just see if Green Bay would be willing to match and stay on the 53. But they're calling now and I need to give my answer right now. They're giving me a 53 man roster shot. I can't pass it up and you might lose that guy. So I'm not saying that that's necessarily going to be the case, but Hey, Green Bay did it with Alan Lazard. Uh, Green Bay did it with Bo freaking Melton. Yeah, um, like, I, was, yeah, I don't even need to go back to Alan Lazard. I can talk about the player that we're, we're talking about, but Green Bay's done that on a couple different occasions in the past where they didn't have anything left to play for at the end of the year. They see a guy in another team's practice squad. They want to pick up. 
worked out with Lazard. We'll see if it continues to work with Melton, but I think they need to put him on the active. He was very clearly ahead of Samore Toure, even with both of them active in this game. Um, they pre- they clearly prefer Melton over Toure. There's not like there's a age difference here. In fact, my guess would be Melton's probably younger. Melton, I think, had the better athletic profile coming out of college. They were both drafted in the seventh round, so it's not like well, one was drafted in the third, the other wasn't. I think you probably just need to make that move, and I think there might be a better chance that um, you just release Toure and are able to get him back on the practice squad too. Like I don't I don't know that he would necessarily get claimed either, but it'll be an interesting you know decision and what they want to do with that. Last one, kind of before we get out of here, obviously feel free to add on to anything there too, but um, Walker continued to get all or got all the playing time this week while Ryan and Runyon continued to rotate. Thoughts on that? Yeah, though Walker, and I know you've pointed this out, was it was overdue for him to get 100% of the snaps. Adam Stanovich, Luke Buck, as Matt LaFleur, have all talked about how someone has to go in and earn that job to you know, for the rotation to stop. And it felt like Walker had done that in, in recent weeks and finally was given, was given that opportunity against the Panthers. And, you know, Adam Stenovich, I asked him about it last week, you know, where has he come from, from early on in the season to where he is now? And he said a lot of it just is, of course, the experience, but just the, the, there were a lot of mental lapses early on in the season, whether it was penalties, um, understanding his assignment, his role, on a specific play, especially if there were stunts, blitzes, things like that. And so just the experience has given him a better understanding of what his responsibilities are, the responsibility of the the offensive players around him. And and Stenovich, you could tell just from you know, he's, you know, pretty quick to the point on things, but you can tell all season long when he's talking about Rashid Walker, he thinks very highly of him. Said again, he's very fired up about him and said all he needs is more reps and he's an NFL left tackle. Again, showing the belief that there is in Rashid Walker and just the tackle position in general, Rashid Walker, Zach, Tom, you know, going back to the early middle portion of the season, like that looked like, like I would have put my money and maybe still would that are right, in the 2024 draft first round pick. I don't know who, but it's going to be an offensive tackle. Yeah. An important position supposed to be a good draft class for that position. But now, and again, not to say that what Walker's done automatically means, Oh, we're good there. We don't have to address it early on, but, there's at least a little more flexibility there, knowing that if they feel confident coming out of this season that Walker could be our guy, we have a Zach Tom as well on the right side that we don't necessarily feel pigeonholed into, all right, we have to take this position in the first round because whether it's tackle, whatever position, like you don't want to be in that spot as a general manager. Ideally, you want to take the best player available and just where this Packers roster is as a whole right now, that's going to be you know, the, the best approach as well. But I think that gives him flexibility in the long term as he continues to develop, but definitely earned that playing time with his play over the last month. And then, as you mentioned, um, running and Ryan, that rotation has been going on since week nine, but the last two weeks it's been a 50, 50 split. And Luke Butkus has gone on or went on uh, this past week about where Ryan has differentiated himself is in the run and everyone keeps going back to just his strength, his ability to hold up at the point of attack and that physicality, uh, that, that ability in that regard, I think is something that missing a little bit along the Packers interior. So he adds that element as well. Yeah. I think they're making the right decisions right now. Um, I, I didn't think Walker had his best week this week, but there were still moments throughout the tape as I was watching. I'm like, 
man, does he look the part. And you're not going to have a perfect week every week. Uh, Zach Tom didn't have a perfect week this week either. Um, but again, he's he's a legitimate starter in this league. They, they both look the part. Uh, and clearly, Zach Tom, that, that goes without saying. But Rasheed Walker looks the part of a starting left tackle. Now, there's not 32 good starting left tackles in the NFL. So that it's like kind of an easy thing um, to maybe get to that point. But he, he definitely looks like one of them. Now, whether Green Bay wants to try to upgrade, even get better, add competition to the line, that will remain to be seen. It's a, it's an interesting draft, and we have all offseason to, to look at that. But, like, first round is a lot of edge, corner, offensive tackle, wide receiver. And it's like, all right, well, they might have two offensive tackles. They've got a lot of wide receivers. They've got a lot at corner, but it's not going great at the moment. And they just drafted LVN, and they've got Rashawn Gary at edge. It's like, if those are, like, the key positions that are the, the top ones in this draft, it's, it would be potentially interesting to see what direction they lean. And I know they're going to just go best player available anyway, but – that, that'll be one to, to kind of keep track of. But uh, yeah, I, I think they can still add competition on the line, but I, I'm very pleased with Rasheed Walker's progress through the course of the year. Uh, I'm a little bit split on the Runyon Ryan thing. I still think just based on the fact that, you know, Runyon's a free agent, maybe give Ryan a little bit more run, but um, I'm fine with it being 50-50. I have not been blown away by Sean Ryan's play, but I think it is still progressing and trending in the right direction. And I love the fact that they're getting him more snaps because just like, Rashid Walker needed that first half of the season to get his footing underneath him, to learn to play the game, to understand the game speed. I think we're seeing that learning process right now with Sean Ryan. Hopefully is a very similar transition um, after he's kind of played half of a season, just like uh, Walker did, um, that hopefully he, he understands it. And by next year, he's ready to be uh, a starter in year three. Paul, final thoughts or uh, anything else you want to get off your chest about this Packers team before that uh, we get the heck out of here? Uh, it's good to have Aaron Jones back at full capacity. We'll end on it that. really is. It, 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 he's man. It, it just sucks that we were robbed of seeing him play at this level throughout the entire course of the season because it is abundantly clear he has not lost a step. He is still super dynamic. He is a game changer, a playmaker, and when you can get him the ball, you know, twenty two, twenty three times in a game, it it opens up so much. Um, I was expecting to see some awesome run blocking when I went back and watched the tape. There was a little bit here and there but it's, it was a lot of just Aaron Jones doing some awesome Aaron Jones stuff. And uh, man, is it fun to watch him play football? Mm-hmm, absolutely. All right, Paul, tell uh, all the amazing listeners uh, where they can find all of your work. I appreciate it, Andy. Follow me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. Find all my work over at Packers Wire. Head over to YouTube channel name, Paul Brettel. Hit like, hit subscribe. I do appreciate it. Always do the likes, always do the subscribes. And again, make sure to check him out every single week. He does awesome work on his YouTube channel. And of course, over at Packers Wire as well. You can find me at Andy Herman NFL. Uh, of course, Packaday Podcast, 365 days a year, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. That's going to do it for both of us today. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. 